0: Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 306 of S Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week, I had a wonderful time talking with one of my new favorite photographers, Michelle Sons. Michelle comes to the podcast highly recommended by her peers and her photography and approach to making images embodies many of the traits and qualities that I've been working to implement into my own approach and images. Michelle just released a new wonderful ebook called River Song, which is one of the things that we talked about at length. We also cover the squishy topic of personal approaches to making images, how her journey into full time photography has been going, and her approaches to trying to survive as a full time artist. Before we dive in, I feel compelled to take a moment to thank you, the awesome listeners of the show, for your generosity and support of the podcast on Patreon. Specifically, I want to thank Karen Keefe and John Fix, who both took the time to go over to our Patreon page to show their financial support. Since we operate on the value-for-value model here on the podcast, I depend on you, the listener, to keep this thing going. So thank you to everyone who has done that. If you would like to help out, please head over to Patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen to support the show. Okay, let's get to this week's episode with Michelle Sons. All right, Michelle Sons, it is great to have you on the podcast.
1: Hi, Matt. I'm I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, It's so funny. I had after you and I decided that we were going to schedule this episode, um, Suzanne Mataya reached out to me and she said, You should have Michelle's sons on your podcast. I'm like, Already happening. And then last night I texted uh, Sarah Marino to let her know because I read the forward to your book. And she was yeah. like, She's one of my favorite people in the field. So. You have lots of fans apparently.
1: Well that's really nice to hear. I certainly think highly of both Sarah and Suzanne. Um, Suzanne had mentioned that to me a few days ago and we laughed at the coincidence. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah it was really funny. <laughs> well for for people that aren't familiar with you and your photography I would love for you to you know introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Oh sure yeah so um, I am a bit of a transplant. I'm based currently based in southwest virginia uh but i in the u.s but i was born and grew up mostly in england but kind of all over the world i have a very sort of nomadic early life with my family due to my father's job we just kind of moved all the time um it's quite shocking really how often we moved but my dad is american my mother's irish oh i have i have family sort of spread all over the world so between our family moves and visiting family, I, by the time I left home, I was already, um, very fortunate to be, you know, well-traveled and having, having seen a lot of the world at a young age. And I kind of continued that in my early adulthood. I just sort of like traveled around and didn't go to college and didn't start a career and just kind of enjoyed, uh, that sort of nomadic life. Um, but then in my thirties, I had my daughter and, uh, I settled down and got it together and uh, worked for 20 years in the corporate world as my daughter grew up um, until a year and a half ago when I decided it was uh, time to sort of do some things for me. And uh, so I left the corporate world and started trying to do this photography thing full time. So Cool. Uh, and
0: And uh, what aspect of the corporate world were you occupying?
1: Okay. Yeah. So my, I have a degree in environmental biology um, and also a degree in geography, a master's degree in geography. So I actually started off working in the environmental field, um, mm. but ultimately ended up, uh, well, actually pretty quickly ended up in retail geography. So I worked for a Fortune 500 company, helping them locate uh, new, new stores. Um, Gotcha. Retail
0: geography.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. Can you believe that? No, it makes sense. It's like
0: a market analysis um, based on like, okay, if you put the store in this particular city block, it's going to get this much traffic. I'm just
1: kind of guessing that's what it's all about. It is. Yeah. It's sort of using demographic data married up with sales data to predict what new locations would do in terms of volume. And then also sort of, um, you know, deployment recommendations for markets entire markets so and so I did a
0: photographer, so if a, a photographer was hoping to open a gallery they should talk to you first
1: <laughs> well they sure why not <laughs> I'm not sure I could really help but um, I'm just trying to generate you some some revenue here. <laughs> <laughs> well I appreciate that for sure um, I, I did sort of I was in that field for 14 years and then I kind of jumped the fence and I worked the other side of that equation as a development manager um, looking for uh, new locations for actually uh, senior housing facilities and then managing you know site acquisition all the way through the opening of the actual facility so I kind of you know I kind of got a taste of both sides of that equation so but yeah Yeah, I I I definitely have sort of like um you know, a strong grounding in everything to do with place Um, and the natural world. Actually, I have a long history of a love of the natural world. So,
0: right. Well, I'm sure that ties in nicely with nature photography, which brings me to kind of my first question around that. I'm curious, kind of what, what got you started in this world of nature photography?
1: Uh, Well, I always loved photography. Um, I spent some time living uh, in Southern Africa, which is, as everyone knows, very rich in wildlife. And um, I dated a person for years that was a keen photographer. And so I, ever since, you know, college, really, I've had this sort of interest in photography. Um, And I had my daughter uh, and actually ultimately uh, separated and divorced from her father so during the course of that process of we lived in different states and I would have to you know take my daughter for summer visitation with her father and that was difficult very difficult process and so I one summer I remember I was sending her away for like three or four weeks and I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to deal with it so I decided I was going to spend some of that time doing something for myself uh and i signed up signed myself up for a landscape photography workshop in sedona arizona uh kind of just chose it based on the timing it fell during a week that she was away and and i went on this workshop and just uh, fell in love instantly with this thing called landscape photography Um, right and that was sort of the beginning of it all so <laughs>
0: and how long ago was that
1: um i think that was 12 years ago
0: okay yeah, okay
1: 12 years ago
0: nice that's about when i got started as well so mm-hmm. that's cool that's yeah, changed a lot since then huh
1: <laughs> yeah for sure yeah yeah my yeah. work's changed a lot since then as well <laughs> oh me too well you
0: know if you're if you're if your work hasn't changed over the course of a decade there's, yeah Potentially something not quite right. (laughs) Agreed, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so, you know, let's jump right into the meat of things here. Um, You know, first of all, I had the pleasure of reading your ebook, River Song, so thank you for sending a copy of that over to me. It's a 111-page tour de force in personal expression. That's my own words. You can put that in the back if you want. But, uh, I mean, seriously... You really knocked it out of the park with that book. And I oh, thank you, i man. really just want to learn about the impetus for the book and the whole story about how you spent two months as the creative in residence at the New River Gorge in Fayetteville, West Virginia, which I have never heard of until you sent me the book. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, happy to share. Um, first, I appreciate your compliments about the book. It was uh, a first effort for me writing an e book. Uh, so it was an interesting and certainly a growth experience for me. Yeah. Um, but I guess uh, the the sort of beginning of that whole um, project was a decision on my part. Once I had gone full-time, so once I'd left the corporate world, I was looking for uh, opportunities for growth for myself. Uh, and I've always wanted to do a creative residency, um, in a national park, and I have actually gone through the process of uh, the complicated and really painful process of putting together an application for a formal National Park Service-sponsored creative residency, or artist-in-residence program. Um, So it's been something that I wanted to do. Um, About a year prior to me doing this, starting this full-time, the New River Gorge became the nation's newest national park. That's in West Virginia, which is not too far from me. Um, And it was an area that, though I wasn't very familiar with it, I had visited it. I had done some photography uh, inside the area that ultimately became the national park. And so I knew I was interested in it. Uh, And I just happened across uh, an opportunity for a residency that was not, and this is kind of key, it was not a National Park Service sponsored opportunity. And it's key because I think it's important for people to understand that there are opportunities out there, many opportunities uh, offered by private individuals or small companies for these residencies. You don't have to go through the National Park Service. And so I discovered this opportunity. Uh, It was through an amazing, incredible, special couple Uh, who are both from West Virginia, who operate a uh, uh, vacation rental property. It's like four beautiful flats uh, in a historic part of Fayetteville, West Virginia, which is sort of the gateway town to the New River Gorge National Park. So they operated this uh, vacation rental property, and they they are huge patrons of the arts in West Virginia. And so every year they were offering these residency opportunities for artists from the region. Um, and it was a formal and somewhat rigorous application process that I had to go through, but I was one of the fortunate people to be offered the residency. And so the time period that I was offered was <laughs> an interestingly challenging time period. It was mid-January to mid-February, which is right. not, it's not the most uh you know, visually lovely time in Appalachia, you know, it's brown and the trees are sticks and it just can be, uh, you know, visually, um, tricky in terms of photography. Uh, Right. But I, I gleefully accepted this opportunity and I moved myself, uh, to Fayetteville for a month, uh, in the winter. And I just, I spent the time, I had a beautiful place to live and I'm, I was able to go visit the park spend time in the park with my camera every single day Um, it's a huge area this park it's like spread along 53 miles of the river Um, and so there's a lot of uh, a lot of land uh, a lot of different types of scenery um, and I was able to visit certainly not all of it but a lot of it Um, and I was also fortunate that there was quite a bit of snow and ice it was a very, very wintry weather uh, period, which is atypical. So I came away with quite a few uh, snowy, icy, interesting uh, conditions in my photography. So that was the experience uh, that generated the project, which I called uh, the River Song Project, which was um, a solo exhibition of the work I made during my time resident there. Um, and also an ebook, a learning ebook, uh, also called River Song, um, and that's the book you were referring to. So that's sort of you know the background behind uh, the book.
0: Awesome, that, yeah, it's it's spectacular. Um, you did a really great job. I was very impressed. I mean, I feel like ebooks are kind of like the new thing that people are doing right now for whatever mm-hmm. reason I think it's a you know it's smart it's a good it's a good way to generate an email list and things like that but um, what I found cool about yours is that it was it, it felt like it had more of a purpose than just like okay I need to put something out there kind of a thing mm-hmm. um, And what I really loved about it is that it seemed like it's a it's a deep dive into your personal connection with that place Mm -hmm. and the the geology of how the river formed and and like a spiritual reaction to uh to being present there with Mm -hmm. nature Mm -hmm. um can you tell me kind of what what are some of your favorite takeaways uh that you had while connecting with nature so deeply as a photographer in that place um
1: yeah i think the book uh i wanted it to uh capture and present you know, my personal experience of this place. And actually, uh, it could apply to any place. You know, my approach there is my approach anywhere. Um, you know, I'm looking for ways in which I can connect. And I wanted to be able to communicate that in the book. So that was uh, one of my intentions, and I'm happy to hear you saw that come through in the book. Um, in terms of learning learnings from the experience, uh, I would say, Um, that given what I just described to you in terms of the appearance of the landscape at that time of year, um, that my mindset, you know, mindset really matters when it comes to connecting with a place. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I went into it uh, just kind of with this open mindset that, you know, I just, I'm just going to be there. I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to, hike. I'm going to sit. I'm going to, you know, listen. I'm going to experience this place and just see, you know, what nature offers me. You know, I just kept my mind open. I did not go in with any specific expectations because, um, as we all know, uh, they may or may not come to be. So <laughs> so I just kind of went and um, spent I spent a lot of time there a lot of time alone so I would say I confirmed that mindset really matters uh, in terms of an artistic and expressive approach to photography Um, and also spending time in a landscape alone is the best way for me personally to um, to be able to see uh, you know deeply what's going on you know what is it about this place that attracts me what is calling my attention Um, what do I find magical I have to be alone to be able to see those things Um, and I spent a lot of time alone uh, in the gorge so um, I would say those were those the two biggest takeaways for me Uh, but there were also like these amazing like little small uh, isolated experiences that like taught me stuff and I go, mm. over, I go over some of that in the book. Um, there yes. was a, a particular pine tree that sort of, it was almost like a little bonsai tree and it's growing, sort of clinging to the edge of this, you know, the very top edge of the gorge and it's kind of like leaning out over and <laughs> I caught it, it's all gnarly, you know, and it, I caught it like all covered in ice and snow and I... I discovered it. I didn't know it was there. Uh, I didn't sort of like do any research and look at other photography before I went. It just was something I kind of came across and I was like, wow, this is a pretty special little pine tree. Um, But it sort of struck me how tenacious and resilient it was sort of here clinging to the edge, you know, with all this like brutal weather and, and it was sort of like surviving and thriving and i was going through some personal challenges uh in the lead up to this trip and so mm. when i found this little pine tree it was like this beautiful little uh reminder of the value of you know tenacity and uh and resilience so yeah
0: it's like a <laughs> double double metaphor <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah totally yeah
0: yeah cuz cuz it was like represented something you're experiencing but also represents tenacity in itself which exactly is pretty cool. yeah 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 it's um I don't know about you but um I mean maybe it's the fact that we've both been making images for like over a decade but those times when you can just discover something for the first time that you didn't know you were gonna come across that day for me like those are the most special moments as a nature photographer it's you know of course I love you know planning out something and oh my gosh the sunset or sun sunrise like totally worked out the way I expected it to but I don't know there's something magical about that experience of just exploring and discovering and then like having a connection to something
1: I totally agree yeah uh spot sort of that spontaneous discovery thing it's uh I think that's that's the essence of exploration right is is sort of yes not knowing something existed and just kind of like coming across it. I I love that. I love that experience. So,
0: yeah. Earlier you you talked a little bit about kind of personally connecting to the place. And I'm wondering for people who are listening that might have struggles in that area, do you have some tips for what that would look like in terms of, you know, I know you mentioned mindset, but maybe Mm -hmm. some more actionable, concrete things
1: Um, it's a bit of a squishy topic um, (laughs) and I think it's hard to talk about it in a concrete way but I will say that for me I found that um, reading and exploring other art forms has been a critical part of coming to know myself well enough to be able to find things in the landscape that really resonate for me so I guess, for example, you know, I know that I pers- my personal aesthetic is I absolutely love low contrast, um, low contrast, kind of low color scenes. That's just an aesthetic that I know I'm very, very drawn to um, because I just know certain things about myself that help me understand that that kind of like softness and that qui- that quietness. Is that a word? Quietness. Um, it is now. So <laughs> those, those are things that um, that I'm drawn to, uh, and so I'm able, knowing that about myself personally, I'm able to translate that into that sort of visual aesthetic. Visually, those are the things I'm drawn to, um, and so it's helped me, I guess. Uh, form a real connection to the condition of fog, right? I mean, this is something that I really um, spend time seeking out. Um, it features in my work a lot. It's not a subject per se, but it's a wonderful way to inject uh, mood into a photograph of a thing or a place. Right. Um, and and I think that part of the reason I love fog so much is because it it does sort of like soften things and quieten things and it removes color and it removes contrast and it has all these effects and creates this sort of visual um, sense that I'm so drawn to. And so, I, you know, it is a very squishy thing, but I think knowing myself is a critical part of Being able to make connections, uh, you know, with the places I visit and photograph them in a meaningful way, a meaningful Mm. for me. me. Mm. Um, You know, I love Uh. I love quiet, you know, and so quiet scenes really kind of pull me in. And it's not just about making the image. It's about this beautiful experience of, of quiet. As I make the image, I get to experience the thing that I love, you know.
0: Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I, I love what you said. You know, know thyself. I think mm-hmm. that's incredibly good advice, and some not something I think we've talked about on the show. So that's cool.
1: So yeah, yeah, I I sort of I do allude to it repeatedly in my ebook, but I use all kinds of different art forms as inspiration. Um, you know, there's there's so much so much out there you know i don't just limit myself to consuming photography as a photographer i'm i'm looking for poetry i'm looking for you know music i'm and I, i'm looking for all forms of art as sources of inspiration so love it well so
0: another thing that really struck me about your project um is that it isn't from a very you know quote unquote famous place mm-hmm. filled with you know iconic scenes You know, it's not like from a national park or, you know, it's not arches or Death Valley or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yet you were able to go there and you were able to capture some really fabulous images. I would love for you to tell us about your approach um, to making personally expressive images in a place that might be lacking in that kind of wow in your face. um, Yeah. Those features.
1: Okay, so I think, uh, you know, it kind of just goes back to what I did mention before, which was just going to a place and just being open to receiving what's offered to you while you're there. Um, and also being um, paying attention to the details, right? So I tend, as a photographer, I, I actually tend to focus on the details more than I do this sort of wider grand scene. That's Uh, personal uh, inclination or personal preference but I think uh, in order to really connect with a place you have to be able to notice uh, the details because the details tell the story in my opinion you know they they hold the real story of a place Um, you know the grand scene oftentimes where I was In the New River Gorge, the grand scene wasn't so grand, you know, it's like it's this big hole in the ground. It's like a ditch in the ground and there aren't many mountains around it um, and there was no color. It was just all brown and everything was like overcast and it just didn't have that wow factor. So what was left to me to pay attention to and to focus my efforts on, you know, noticing and perceiving were those details, um, and I, I think that comes through in the body of work. There aren't that many scenes where it's sort of, you know, the grand wide landscape. It is sort of mostly uh, smaller, smaller scenes. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you did have um, early on in the book, you did have a description about kind of how the river itself was formed, which mm-hmm. I really appreciated, and you accompanied it with a, you know, an image that kind of showed how the. How the river kind of snakes and winds, and you mm-hmm. know, I you know, I've, you know I've, I felt like that was a really nice addition, just in terms of helping the reader just understand place, you know.
1: And I think that's an important part of connecting with a place is to understand, you know, how this place came to be, and and this particular place had a very unique story, and uh, I mean, it was an irresistible opportunity. To indulge my geography nerd, I, you know, with my background in geography, I just love that stuff, you know. <laughs> so I indulged it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, I would also love for you to talk a little bit about how photography serves as a healing mechanism for you, and and why you've chosen to embrace it in that particular fashion.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the practice of photography is, in a way, uh, therapy. For, it's my personal therapy. Um, and I think that probably comes from the fact that in my mind it represents three things that have always been very important to me, even as a young person. Um, uh, a love for the natural world. Uh, a love for high adventure um, and exploration. I used to read these really nerdy books on uh you know exploring africa and stuff but um (laughs) and also a love for creative expression so that is what photography represents to me personally and so by practicing it i'm able to indulge those three things that i absolutely adore um and it's sort of like it's like this tool for reconnecting with my younger self right the little geography and um, nature nerd that I was Um, but I kind of lost that you know as I as I got older and I went to college and then I had my daughter and I you know had to do the whole corporate life thing I lost the uh, understanding that those were the things that I loved more than anything else and so by picking up photography it sort of like allowed me to like rediscover my younger self And, you know, I mean, that's like a buzz, buzz term that you hear in psychology field all the time. But it's, it it did that for me, allowed me to reconnect with who I was as a very, very young person. Um, And then also, I think, you know, we all sort of like struggle to deal with the stresses and strains of our day to day lives, right? I mean, it's just, life can get really hard. And, and it certainly did for me. And so going out and practicing my photography, you know, in the woods or where, wherever was this beautiful escape from these stresses and strains and pressures. And, you know, I could go out and I could just get into that flow as they call it, you know, and just forget about all the hard stuff and just, just focus on, you know, these trees in the fog or, you know, whatever. It was like an escape and and it still is. It's like, it's like a little mini like vacation or, you know, a spa day or whatever, uh, but better in my opinion, (laughs) but, um, you know, it allows you to sort of like, uh, escape from those difficulties in life. So in those two regards, I think it has been, um, my therapy, um, and continues to be so.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. As you were talking about that, I was reminded, it just reminded me of, my own thing I did just—I uh, guess it was like a week ago now. It, we had a huge snowstorm here, which you know we get a decent amount of snow here in Durango, but it's not—it's not very consistent. But this was a huge storm, and I was like, I'm just gonna go take pictures of uh, cottonwood trees on the river, uh, you know, because it's like five-minute drive from my house and easy, just an easy walk through mm-hmm. the on this well trail. It was basically all covered in snow, but. And it was just so therapeutic. And by the, you know, like I was having so much fun and I looked at my watch and it was like four hours later and I'm like, oh, (laughs) oops. (laughs) You know, it's just amazing how if when we're fully present in the process of experiencing nature and capturing it with our cameras, that it can just, you know, it can just transport us away from all the stress. And it's just an awesome experience.
1: It totally, it totally does that. You know, it definitely fosters mindfulness right which science has proven is beneficial uh for all of us that sort of state of of you know mindfulness and and it's a great uh way to achieve that i think
0: yeah 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 well so earlier on you had mentioned that um you know we were joking that photography has changed a lot in the last you know 12 years or whatever and then we had a laugh about how our own photography has changed in that time period and I'm curious for you kind of what what does that transition look like and kind of what changes in your own work you've seen over time and because I'm I'm listening to you talk about your work and I I feel like it's it's kind of where a lot of people wish they were in their photography um so I'm curious kind of like what have you done in the course of that 12 years to go from point A to point B Mm -hmm. but we have to understand what point A looked like. First, yeah, so
1: point A for me was like, I was completely clueless, right? My, I I took the workshop in Sedona uh, from a fine man by the name of Derek Von Briesen, who is an incredible uh, photographer. He worked a lot with National Geographic and Arizona Highways. And he, he became my mentor, and I'll mention that again later. But um, he is an incredible photographer, um, and a great, uh, jokester as well. And he, he likes to tease me about the fact that we were standing in front of this just sublime scene on, uh, the West Fork of Oak Creek Canyon in, uh, Sedona. And I had my camera set up on the tripod and there was this beautiful, like huge pool of reflecting water with these overhanging canyons and these green, green trees. And it was just gorgeous. And, and I kind of set it up and I'd never done landscape photography before and uh I said okay Derek what am I looking at here (laughs) like I literally had no clue uh, even what I like how to compose the scene like what am I looking at here and uh he loves to joke with me about that but um so that was kind of (laughs) that was kind of where I started you know I didn't even know what I was looking at and um I've definitely come a long way from that uh and I think that um It's hard to, you know, pinpoint the things that have happened along my way from there to where I am today. Um, But I think I pay a lot of attention to what, what I'm photographing and what I'm choosing to process when I come back from trips. Like, I'm really noticing, like... Gosh, I always seem to shoot with my 7200 and I'm always trying to remove things from the scene. I'm not very comfortable photographing the grand landscape. I like the details. I like simplicity. I like minimalism. I like one or two colors, not 10 colors in my images. Um, I like a lot of negative space. And I think I just, over time, I just paid a lot of attention to what I was drawn to and what I was bringing home with me. Um, And I just slowly learned what what things I enjoyed photographing and the ways in which I felt compelled uh, to photograph them. Um, And I just kept directing my attention towards noticing and then doing that, you know, shooting those things in that way the next time I go out and just constantly kind of refining... um, my choices so I love that
0: yeah that makes total sense I feel like my journey has been similar although I I took a I probably took a much longer path to get there (laughs) um you know I was personally I was much more in in line with trying to you know produce those big crazy scenes and amazing light and exceptional conditions and mm-hmm. of course I still love to do that but you know you have zero control over that stuff so um for me I recognized really quickly that that was not going to be sustainable because it's so fleeting and rare to actually experience those types of events mm-hmm. as a photographer especially if you're not out in it 24/7 365 so you know, I slowly evolved into trying to notice, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the more smaller things and things like that. So Mm -hmm. thank God, because I probably would have quit a long time ago.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's uh, sort of a natural uh, transition that a lot of us make, you know, we go from, you know, wanting to shoot the wide, dramatic uh, scenes down, you know, we progress along this continuum to, as we become more adept at uh, making those connections with the landscape and noticing the details our work kind of you know follows along it becomes you know more uh intimate over time I, I mean I, I'm not saying that's true for every photographer but I think it is uh, quite a common you know uh I- evolution for photographers so
0: yeah I think so too I think some of it's just a product of uh you know challenging yourself and mm-hmm. trying to keep learning. And then also from my perspective, you know, I I like to do both, but Mm -hmm. when you can, when you have so many different things that you're into, you basically can make images all day long instead of, you know, in golden hour or whatever. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's good to be able to take photographs for more of the day. (laughs) It's definitely a good thing. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, so Earlier, you also talked a little bit about this, you know, corporate lifestyle that you were living, and in mm-hmm. some of the correspondence we had. You were talking about, you know, getting on private jets and f- flying halfway across the country, and like sleeping in airports and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. That sounds terrible to me, but um, <laughs> I'm cur- I'm curious uh, how how your overall health and and mental health and well being have has shifted. Since you left the corporate world to embrace a simpler life as a nature photographer.
1: Yeah. Um, So I'm a nicer person today than I was a year and a half ago. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) 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 Um, My career was, the last four or five years of my career were particularly stressful. Um, And I, I just was constantly like kind of strung out, anxious, unhappy, you know, dreading the next Um, Huge presentation I had that, you know, there was all this money on the line and I was constantly worried that I was going to forget something and cost my employer a lot of money and get fired. Um, It wasn't a very nice way to live. Uh, It was exciting and flashy at times, but it was not a healthy way to live. And I wasn't a happy person, Um, except for the weekends uh, when I would okay occasionally get away in my in my little snail shell as I call it my little Honda element and and I would go and like dirt bag it for the weekend with my camera and and I was happy then you know I uh that stuff got me through um and so being able to do that more frequently now and I certainly don't do that all the time like you'd be surprised how much time I have to spend at my desk as a full-time nature photographer it's crazy but
0: (laughs) surprised at all
1: (laughs) so I don't get to go and live in my car or anything um right but I do spend more time outside of nature um and I am doing what I love and so I'm just a happier person I feel like I never felt before in the corporate world that I was like living in my own skin I was doing something that was like counter to my nature um And I, I just never, I felt like I was in someone else's skin all the time and I don't feel that way anymore. Now I feel like I'm living true to who I am, you know, spending time doing the things that I love. Um, And so I definitely, my life has improved dramatically um, since I started doing this full time. There are elements of my life that have become much more challenging, right? I mean, financially it's, it's certainly been difficult. but I would say in all other aspects of my life, it's been a very positive change. So.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, I'm currently kind of facing the same sort of transition. And, you know, it's scary going from a consistent source of decent income into mm-hmm. a space where you're fully responsible for, you know, mm-hmm. making or breaking being able to like put food on the table, so to speak. And, um, and I'm curious for your particular journey, what did that time period leading up to that look like in terms of planning or Mm -hmm. kind of figuring out how you were going to pull it off? Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing there was a lot of anxiety involved. I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to talk a little bit about that.
1: So first I do want to say that I, I just, I am in a very fortunate position. I have a partner, um, Sam. Who is remarkably uh, supportive of me and this sort of like quest I had to leave that life and start this yeah. life? So uh, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure that uh, it's clear that I I had that safety net, um, and so that's that's really the only reason I felt like I could even give this a shot. Right? Is because right. it wasn't a there was nobody depending on me. Um, my daughter had just graduated from college, and so I. F- I felt like most of my financial responsibilities had been satisfied. So I didn't have a, other people depending on me. And I had someone to, to sort of like, you know, I have a place to live, I have food on the table. So these are things that I didn't have right. to be too worried about. And for that, I'm hugely grateful. And I don't think that I would have even been brave enough to try this had had those two things not been the case. Right. Um, But basically, in the lead-up, I knew I was going to do this. Um, And so I saved. I saved a lot of money. I just, like, squirreled away, like, every penny I could because I knew it was going to be a long haul to get to a point where I was able to sort of, like, you know, support myself. I I knew it wasn't going to come quickly. I had no idea how long it would actually take. I I was completely deluded. I I was, like, giving myself less than a year. Um, But still, I saved up... uh, You know, the cash that I felt that I needed to be, to have like that comfort level of going from a regular paycheck to no regular paycheck. Um, Right. So I think, you know, financially preparing for the change and having minimized my personal financial commitments and having a partner that was um, encouraging and supportive of experiment it's like a grand experiment those are the right. three th- those are the three things that um, I guess enabled me to, to even try this so
0: nice yeah know it, it's interesting because um I mean everyone's situation is different of course but I feel like if I if I was single and didn't have you know a 15 year old son like I would have done it a long time ago mm-hmm. and just known that I would have no money but mm-hmm. like um, it's yeah, different you ta- when you have
1: <laughs> it is different when you have a family it totally is I, I completely agree with you I waited you know I wanted to do it um, a long time before I did but I had to wait because you know I mean I had to there were certain things I wanted to give my daughter that I didn't think I would be likely to be able to give her if I tried this earlier so I just stuck with you know, the corporate thing until I got through all that and then I made the leap.
0: So what's, uh, what's been your experience so far experimenting with ways to generate income? What's that been like for you so far?
1: Oh, well, it's, (laughs) it's been interesting. So my goal is, uh, to find, uh, streams of income that suit my, uh, my personality, um, you know, I don't want to end back up in the position I was in before I moved to photography. I don't want to end up doing something all day, every day that just doesn't feel right. Like I want to be, I want to love what I do. So mm. I'm being very intentional about what I try. I'm, ex- I'm still experimenting. Uh, but one of the first things I tried uh, was uh, a commercial poster series. I developed this line of posters. It was called Appalachian Dreams. Mm. And... Uh, it wasn't a complete failure, <laughs> uh, but it d- definitely didn't. Um, it didn't come to the fruition that I had hoped. Um, it, it did sort of lead me into a partnership with um, Eastern National, and they operate. They're a nonprofit that operates, uh, you know, gift shops in multiple national parks, including New River wow. Gorge and like Acadia, where I spend time as well. Um, And so they are a customer and they sell uh, my Appalachian Dreams poster from the New River Gorge in their gift shops. Um, And I'm in the process of rebranding that. But um, so it wasn't a complete failure, but it had a very, very limited success. And I made the mistake of investing too much effort up front in that project. And so I didn't really make a lot of headway on other possible income streams because I was Mm. too distracted I was too focused on that, on that project. So that was a learning lesson. Um, But
0: yeah, that's, that's, that's been um, one of my realizations, you know, I'm, I'm just one person Mm -hmm. and I only, there's only so many hours in the day. Right. And it's, it's hard to focus my attention on something. I mean, obviously I focus my attention on this podcast because I've been doing it forever, but like there's i have I have all these like little you know like books laying around where I take notes and I have all these ideas that I've written down, but like I go back like three years and I still have all these ideas that I haven't even started, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh if, if only I had way more time, I would probably have more success, but yeah <laughs> yeah
1: there's do? def there's definitely a limit to what we can do as as you know one man show, you know I mean you just it's I think. I guess my lesson was you got to be a lot more strategic about how you're spending your time. Don't just like, you know, spend it all on one thing. Like, because if that thing fails, then you're, mm, you know, it's a problem. It's a problem. So, (laughs) Um, so I guess that was my first learning, but uh, yeah, I'm just trying to choose things that, um, that suit my nature. So I'm generally avoiding like, at this point anyway I'm not planning to go like workshop route I know that's a route that a lot of photographers choose but I don't think it's right for me at least for now so I'm trying other things Um, I'm continuing with the product development Um, you know writing my own ebooks that's going to be an effort going forward I hope to eventually have a selection of different ebooks available you know, continuing to work with these non-profits. I've done some editorial assignment work, um, you know, and, like, uh, I'm currently, like, working on designing a calendar for Great Smoky Mountains Association for them to sell, to raise funds for the park. Um, So, I don't know. It's, like, something different all the time. Um, But I'm I'm just trying to be intentional about what I choose and also trying to, you know, kind of have a lot of irons in the fire at once. So...
0: Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, I, like the, I like what you said about, you know, knowing yourself and what you know you're going to be good at and what you're not going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, for a long, long, long time, I did not think I would enjoy teaching workshops and that whole thing. But um, I've done a handful of them over the last five years, and I actually enjoy it. So I'm going down that path Mm -hmm. a little bit, um, but I totally appreciate people who don't want to do that Mm -hmm. because it can be exhausting for sure. Um, but you know, like I recently did a, uh, I finished a, like it was about a month and a half long process, um, where this company reached out to me and they asked me to photograph these eight locations in winter in Colorado, um. And you know their client was visit Colorado, like tourism, mm-hmm. um, and that was actually super super fun. Like mm-hmm. I really really enjoyed that. Sign like, work, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it was you know, like I had it. You know, they had very specific kind of aesthetics that they were looking for. They needed mm-hmm. snow. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have control over snow, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so but I you know I managed to pull it off, and it was it was a lot of fun. I, and I enjoyed it, but it was like, gosh. I think over the course of two months, I probably spent 80 hours on it, you know, Mm -hmm. so, um, but it was fun. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's, I think that's the important thing too. If you're going to work for yourself, make it fun. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I agree. That's why I'm, that's why I'm doing it. I want to have a nicer time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I suspect you're, you actually enjoy creating the eBooks.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I like, um, I like solo pursuits. You know, I'm better just working on my own versus a team. So, you know, writing an ebook is about as solo as you get. So <laughs> Right, yeah, no no doubt. Yeah, you know, I just um well introvert oh, go out at my desk, you know, I just do the introvert thing. So
0: Totally. <laughs> no, I I mean I like to write too, so I, I I I'm down with ebooks. Um I just have never I haven't tried yet, but I'm sure in the next couple of years I'll pull that one off too. Um, so speaking of ebooks um, this is this is a fun little top side topic but uh, I know you mentioned to me that you were close to releasing another ebook um, and that you thought it would be a book centered around your feminine feminine landscape portfolio um, so I went and took, took a look at that mm-hmm. and first I have to say this um, and no offense to anyone listening but uh, I've kind of personally found the whole like here's a woman in a dress and nature thing to be like a bit of a trope. But I have to say, when I looked at your portfolio, like I was really impressed. It it, it just stands out for some reason. Um, I found it to be highly engaging and it's just, it's fantastic. I'm not even sure why, but it just feels evocative and personal. So nice job on that. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I was hoping you could, Tell me a little bit about what you hope to accomplish um, with, with, uh, with that work in, in an ebook layout.
1: I had anticipated um, being further along on a feminine landscape ebook at this point than I actually am. <laughs> um, it is something that um, I am working on, uh, but it is not uh, by any means close to release at this point, um, but uh, it will be out there eventually. Um, in terms of what the Feminine Landscape project is, was, or may be at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a series of uh, self-portraits that I guess uh, chronicles my experience of um, dramatic landscapes or any landscape um, as a landscape photographer. I mean, these are the places I'm spending my time in, and this series of images um, captures me in those locations, experiencing those locations. And I try to present them in a way where they are compositionally uh, strong enough to stand without a figure. So the figure is like kind of a, in a way, like a last minute addition. To the scene, right? It's not designed around the figure. It's this scene and then the figure uh, steps into it. And it is usually, I think 90% of the ones that I've made are me. So it's typically I'm alone and I'm the only figure around. So I'm the one that steps in. I have done uh, the odd one using my hiking buddy or something like that. Right. Um, But for the most part, it is me. Um, but it isn't recognizably me, right? And I think that that no, is, it's not. yeah, yeah, that is one of the reasons that it resonates with people. It's it's an image mm. that could be them, and so it's sort of like is this opportunity to envision themselves experiencing whatever place or landscape is shown in in the scene? And yeah. I think I think that's one of the things that that makes it appealing to people. Um, I have retired that project <laughs> repeatedly um, <laughs> and because, because of the reason you mentioned, which is like, everybody is making these images now. When I started it, that wasn't the case. It was quite unique. It definitely was like something that would like kind of stop you in your tracks when you saw it. But since then it's become something that you see everywhere or some form of it, you know, a woman right. in a landscape. It's just kind of like, it's a cliche. And uh, and so I have retired my project um, partly because of that, partly because I feel like I've moved on from it for the most part, but occasionally I bring it out of retirement briefly, long enough to make like one more image or something. Um, yeah, so, well, I
0: mean, I don't know like if it's the way you've processed them or the way you compose them or what, but they're they're, they're really awesome. Like I, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, when I first read the description and like saw the first images, I'm like, oh, it's one of these, okay. But then I was like, okay, actually, this is really, this is really awesome. Um, So hopefully I didn't offend you with what I said about it being kind of a, like you said, cliche, but um, I don't know, like I feel like every time I see those types of images I'm like, oh, it's an influencer, right? Like, it's, yeah. Like, what are you trying to sell me? It's, um, but for, for whatever reason, I think yours kind of pass a different litmus test for some reason. I think maybe it's because people can envision themselves in the landscape, which I think is a whole other important yeah. topic, like encouraging women mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. experience nature. I think that's has a whole other function that has value. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I liked it a lot. I just, um, I'm glad you agree that it is sort of a thing that people are doing a lot of. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah, it's sort so of, you're the
0: original. You're the OG.
1: Well, I, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I am quite the original, but I was an early adopter. Just put it that way.
0: Right, right, right. Um, right.
1: It, it's a very. It was a very uh, meaningful project for me personally. You know, and I sort of like think of it as uh, a visual diary of of these just amazing experiences that I have had out in nature. Um, and I always think that I would one day love to make it into an actual printed book for my for my daughter, to give to my daughter as a, as mm. a sort of way for her to, you know, uh, a way for me to share with her these experiences that I've had. So maybe one day I'll be able to do that. I
0: feel like a project like that has lots of possible legs and directions it can go in terms mm-hmm. of you know, magazine covers or, like, articles in magazines or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like it has a lot of room to grow into something mm-hmm. more.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. yeah. The the wheels have been turning in my brain for quite some time as to what it could become. You know, I don't want it to be just sort of like this full stop. It's a retired project and there is nothing more. I, I see more for it. I just am uh, working through that. So,
0: yeah. And just to be fair, for anyone who like found my opinion lame, I totally agree. If you look at some of my photos, like oh, he's just doing that thing, just like everyone else. So it's it's totally fine if people think that. I just that particular image is something that I see coming across on Instagram yeah. quite a lot. So yeah. Um. um let's see what else. Um, ah, so you have another body of work. <laughs> That you've encapsulated into an ebook called The Art of Fog. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your mm-hmm. obsession with fog. I and mean, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but um and why you decided to wrap that into an ebook. Because I feel like that one's kind of more of a lead magnet for you, and I would love for you yeah. to talk about that. It too. is,
1: yeah. Uh yeah. So The Art of Fog is a free ebook that I offer uh to my email subscribers. Um, it is relatively new. I think it's been out there for maybe, I don't know, six months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I recognized that uh, one of the things I needed to focus my effort on as a pro was building my email list. And so I needed a lead magnet in order to do that effectively. I mean, people don't just sign up for your list. They, you got to offer them something in exchange for that. So right. um, I was known as uh, a person that loved fog, you know, it's sort of like part of many of my images. Um, And so that kind of already was my established reputation. And so when I was trying to think of, you know, what is it that I offer that is kind of unique and different, foggy photography was what I came up with. So I put together, uh, I think it's like 20 something pages. It's short. It's, it's really, uh, two things. One, it's a, a dozen or, yeah, I think it's 12 tips for, uh, photographing in fog. So, um, Hmm. you know, it might be tips on how to find fog. It might be tips on, um, how to adjust your exposure in fog. It might be tips on, you know, what to avoid or look out for in post-processing. It's just this sort of like short uh, grouping of tips and then a very small portfolio of foggy work just intended as inspiration for people that wanted to start sort of like photographing foggy scenes. Um, So that is what it is. It's free. If you like it, you just have to subscribe. Go out and get it. Um, I, I suggest you do it soon if you're interested because... I'm retiring it (laughs) (laughs) there. It will be replaced with a new and different offering. um, And I am working on building out the art of fog into uh, a full, a full on ebook. So the freebie version will be retiring um, probably within the next couple of months as I move towards uh, that new product development. Um, But I don't know. I just love fog. I mean, what can I say? I just... Oh, who I, doesn't love I, fog? I, I know. All photographers love fog. I'm like weirdly obsessive about it, actually. Um, and I've become right. quite good at finding it, too. It can be very difficult to find. Yeah, um, yeah. There's an art to it. There's a lot of luck and uh, a little... Having a little bit of knowledge and use of some tools, you can you can dramatically increase your chances of finding it. And
0: uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's only... Two bad things about living in Colorado. One of them is that I don't have an ocean to photograph. And the other one is that fog is like, never happens.
1: Oh, is that true? <laughs> so I, did, I didn't know that. It's
0: super rare. I mean, you know, I'm in the field a lot and it, I don't know. I think it's happened to me like three times in my whole life. Wow. But yeah, it's just not very common.
1: Come to, uh, come to Virginia or West Virginia. It's like so foggy here. So foggy. Well, yeah, I
0: mean the... I mean, not to get into the details, but like for fog to happen, you need the dew point and the temperature to like That's come right. really close together, and then That's you need right. no wind. Right. And the problem is, is like in Colorado, unless there's like a really big weather system, there's not mm-hmm. enough humidity to generate the dew point. Okay. So it's just it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So <laughs> like this fall, actually, um, we had one morning. Um where we had fog and it was one of the most magical experiences I've ever had in fall colors, Colorado oh, because yeah. it just it's very rare. Um but uh, I mean gosh, could you imagine fall aspen trees, every time you go out it's foggy? Like that would be That would be incredible. <laughs> oh my god.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be just really amazing and wonderful.
0: Yeah. So I mean I don't mind that it's exceptionally rare because when it does happen, it's like, "Holy cow!" Here we go, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So we get we get a good bit. I mean, what, parts of West Virginia are known to be some of the foggiest places in the country. So they right. have there's a type of fog. It's called valley fog, you know, and it sort mm. of like collects in the bowls of yes. the valleys in the Appalachian Mountains and um, like probably a little further west in West Virginia than I typically. Go is like one of the foggiest places in this country. It's like up on a par with like San Francisco Bay. Oh um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: So yeah. yeah, there are there definitely is a lot of fog over here. It's humid, and
0: uh, right, yeah. And, and it's just. Uh, I mean, I would I definitely love fog. I mean,
1: come on. Every everyone loves fog. Um, yeah. So one of the cool ways I have like this fog hack, um, in order to find fog. Um, I actually just go up in elevation. (laughs) So when you live in a mountainous area and anytime you have like a low cloud deck, if you want fog, just go up. I mean, it's like, it's, it's sort of like, it's so obvious, but, but not obvious as well. Like, um, there's an image in my series, the feminine landscape, and it was, uh, made on the top of a mountain in Southwest Virginia called, uh, white top mountain And you can see it's next to Mount Rogers, which is the highest mountain in West in Virginia. Sorry, the highest mountain in Virginia. It's right next door. Right. So White Top is like the second highest mountain. And uh, you can see it from the interstate. And I was on my way to Great Smoky Mountains National Park on one particular day in the winter. And I saw that the cloud deck was, you know, it was enveloping the very top of White Top Mountain. And so when you get uh, that situation, it was below freezing. And so when you get that situation, you get a fog and it's below freezing. You get like rime ice and these amazing like ice formations on trees and grasses. Yes. And I was like, you know, I slammed on the brakes, you know, exited and uh, headed to White Top Mountain instead of Great Smoky Mountains. And when I got up there, it was like a dream, you know. I mean, it was thickly foggy and everything was like, painted with this white ice it was just gorgeous that Um,
0: sounds amazing
1: (laughs) and and so i mean if if it's cold and you see a mountain that has you know the cloud deck is lower than the top of the mountain if you can get up there you're going to be in the fog and it's going to be icy and amazing and uh and so you know that's a technique i use all the time not just in winter but anytime uh for finding foggy scenes it's just I use an aviation weather app, actually, and I, so I'm able to know, like, the elevation of the bottom of the cloud deck, and then mm. I know I've got all these mountains in my area, and I know what their, what their elevation is, so I just pick a, pick a location that's above the cloud deck, and I'm going to be in the clouds, so.
0: That's genius. Fun way well, to do it. Um I know that you, we had talked a little bit about lead magnets in your ebook, but, I was thinking that might be a really fun conversation as a bonus episode for Patreon. So if people want to learn more about that, we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, Um, That sounds good. Well, cool. I mean, we could probably talk about fog for six hours. Um, but you know, unfortunately we don't have six hours. (laughs) Um, so I just have, um, one more question for you and that's, who do you recommend for the podcast?
1: okay so i have two recommendations um one is actually my partner who is also a landscape photographer Uh, his name is sam krish Um, he is uh, an amazing sort of versatile um, artist he's not just a photographer he is uh, involved in many forms of art Um, And so he sort of has a very different approach to photography from me. So I think, you know, it's always interesting uh, to get people's different approaches. So he Mm -hmm. specializes in like these really grand scenes in these massive uh, presentations, like in museums and such. So um, I would recommend you look at Sam. Okay. And then also uh, my mentor, uh, Derek Von Briesen, Uh, he is also a longtime friend of mine he's based in sedona arizona he's been around for a while he's got a lot of experience um he worked for years with national geographic and arizona highways Um, and he just has this incredibly huge really impressive uh body of work Um, And he's got this really cool background, like he's from Southern California. He was like a pro surfer and a pro mountain biker. And he's like a musician. And he's just like this all around, like, uh, cool dude. He's very interesting. So I would recommend him. Awesome.
0: Well, Michelle, this has been really fun. And I'm so glad we could uh, record and just thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it a lot.
1: I'm uh, really grateful to you, Matt, for the opportunity to come on. I, I appreciate it so much and I enjoyed talking with you today.
0: Well, thank you to Michelle for the amazing conversation. I'm a big fan of your work, so keep it up. Michelle wanted me to let our listeners know that she is offering a special offer to our listeners for her ebook, River Song. Just use the code FSTOP20 for 20% off the book through March 31st. You can find it on her website at michellesons.com, And of course, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes as well. I would also love to invite our listeners to join me and a huge number of your peers for one of the best website experiences that you can find on the web for nature photographers. That would be Nature Photographers Network. NPN is an awesome place to be for landscape photographers because there are experienced experts over there to provide critique and suggestions for improvement of your photographs. There are also really in-depth articles found nowhere else on the internet, as well as countless discounts on products that you probably are already wanting to buy, like Helicon Focus. I'd love to see you over on NPN, so just go to npn.link forward slash to join. It's just $49 per year, and it's one of the best values for your money in the photography space. That's npn.link forward slash fstop. You can use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount. We'll see you there. Okay, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.